Well, how are we doing? Yeah. Uh, first, I'm grateful to be here uh, for Pastor Lynn to give me the opportunity. And I don't know if you know what Frankie is short for, but I call him Francis. And so uh, thank you, Francis, for the opportunity. Does anybody like Blue Bloods? Anybody watch that show? Love Blue Bloods. And, uh, you know, the patriarch of the family calls Tom Selleck's character, his name is Frank, but he calls him Francis. And so I was looking forward to meeting a Frank and becoming friends with him so that I could, too, call him Francis. So thank you, Francis. Uh, thank you. So grateful to be here. Uh, I need to take a few minutes uh, just to build a little bit of rapport with you and let you know a little bit about me. Uh, I uh, am brand new on staff, haven't even been here very long, a handful of months. Uh, I come from Oklahoma and no, I'm not a Sooners fan at all. Uh, I am an Oklahoma State fan and we did poorly in our bowl this year. I was kind of cried a little bit. Uh, but, um, and see, I knew that wouldn't get a reaction here, but if I was in Oklahoma, there would have been booing and hissing and probably would have kicked me out of the room. Uh, but, um, come from Oklahoma, been in ministry for over 10 years and, uh, been a campus pastor before. And then I was in Dallas for a year as a senior pastor. And then God directed us and my family here. And, um, I have, uh, just so you can meet my family, I'm not going to parade them up here, uh, but this let you know a little bit about who I am. Uh, I, we, my wife, her name is Joy, and we've been married uh, a little over 12 years now. And uh, we have four kids. Yes, four. And some people ask us, do you know what makes that happen? And I was like, yeah, we're refusing to give that up. So... Um, for sure. Sorry, Joy. She's wait, She's right there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Sydney is our oldest. She's seven. And Kale uh, on the left, but she is um, six. And then Judah, I'm holding him. He is two. And then Roman is a newborn. Uh, and he's, what, eight months or so? Is that about right? Uh, somebody asked me what their birthdays were, and I said, I have no idea. I have it in my calendar. I don't know. But that's my family. I love them. I don't know all of their birthdays except for Joy's. Uh, but uh, that's my family. And uh, yeah. Fired up to be here and to be a part of Cornerstone. And, uh, you know, we're pretty lucky. Uh, sometimes you don't know how good you have it until you leave. Um, and or until you get somebody else to come in and tell you how good you have it. And uh, this is an unbelievable place. And God's hand is on this church. His favor is here. And we're seeing people week in and week out. And I can tell you from even Scottsdale, lives are being changed and people are giving their life to Christ. And we're impacting the city and the valley for Jesus. And it's an awesome thing to be a part of. And so I hope we don't take it for granted. We have a great leader in Pastor Lynn and his wife. They're phenomenal. And uh, so uh, we have a, a great church. Don't you agree? Yeah. All right, so I've been tasked with my favorite chapter in all the Bible, Romans chapter 8. So hopefully you have your Bibles, uh, Romans chapter 8. And um, uh, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 are some of the most fundamental teachings in all the Scripture, some of the most powerful writings that Paul really uh, had put together in the book of Romans. And I don't want to recap all of that, but uh, what we're going to do is I am not nearly as skilled as Pastor Lynn is when he can come up here and just open the Bible and unload on you like a dump truck and take it as far as he can. So I have a little bit of a plan. We're going to get through 17 verses tonight. So we're going to go 1 through 17, and um, but and we're going to unpack this. This is going to be really fun, uh, and I'm excited to share God's Word with you. I read out of the ESV Bible. Sorry if you have an NIV, but I did put the ESV up here on the screens for you just for uh, your help. So you can follow along with me if you'd like. So um, let's read this. You ready? I'm going to go through here. I'm going to read this, point a few things out, and then I'm going to come back to it. uh, And then we'll kind of dig in this way. So uh, verse one, you ready? Are you with me? Say jump. All right, that was weak. Do it again. If you're with me, say jump. There we go. All right. This will work better if you help me out along the way. Uh, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, before I get going, what I do want you to see in the text here is that there are two huge comparisons happening here uh, in these verses. Uh, you're going to see a word repeated, two words repeated over and over and over and over again. And if you see two words or one word or a series of phrases repeated over and over and over again, uh, that is the Holy Spirit through the writers of the scripture telling you, hey, wake up, I'm trying to tell you something. And so you're going to see two specific words in in there, and I want to make a note of it. You're going to see the word flesh uh, said 11 times. 
um, and then the Spirit said 16 times. Now, uh, I also recognize that the word flesh is there are two different ver- words for flesh, and we'll get into that in a moment. But you're going to see those words repeated over and over and over and over again. And Paul is really seeing that there is an angst inside the heart of every person. There is a wrestling going on inside of every single person. And Pastor Lynn really did a great job last week unpacking that with Paul in Romans 7. But we'll get to that in a minute. So if you like to write in your Bible, I love to write my Bible. Man, circle that word spirit every time it comes up. Circle that word flesh every time it comes up. If you have one of those fake Bibles, like a digital Bible on your phone or your tablet, you can't do that. I'm sorry, but uh, get a real Bible. We sell them in the bookstore. I'm just playing, just playing, totally playing. Uh, Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, this is crazy, set their minds, that's intent, direction, uh, on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Can't get any more clearer than that. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Who couldn't get any more of that, more of that in their life? Who wouldn't want more life and more vitality and more peace in their life? Set your mind on the spirit and we'll get there. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a second. Verse six, for to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit does not have Christ belong. Uh, Christ does not belong to him. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, lives in you, is at home in you. Uh, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your immoral bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, oh goodness, I thought my computer was about to fall. But saw me have a heart attack. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that the children that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified um, with him. So tonight... What I want us to look at is really this one theme. Um, it's something that every single human heart wrestles with. Every one of us wrestle with it. Every single one of us uh, wish that we could get rid of it, <laughs> but it's a challenge in our lives. Every single one of us have this reality that is going on inside of us that we just can't seem to kick. Paul talked about it in Romans 7. Do you remember that section of scripture last week uh, that Pastor Lynn opened up where he said, the things that I don't want to do, what does he say? I do them. And the things that I do want to do, I what? And then what did he say? What was the key that he said that every time I want to do good, who's there or what's there? Evil is there, and actually that we're there, and that evil, what it does is it baits me, it hooks me in. Like, a, I don't, are there any fishermen in the room? Any fishermen in the room? Okay, uh, like a bait, a lure is used to attract a fish, and then the fish takes that lure, the shiny light, however the water flicks or flickers off of it, the sun rays flicker off of it, and then all of a sudden, that fish just pounces on that lure. And that's what uh, Paul is saying, that every time I want to do good, there's that evil, that evilness, that sinful desire, that flesh in me that's flashing, it's bright. And sometimes I just pounce on it and I take it. And so what Paul is going to do in this section of scripture is he is going to say, hey, I recognize that for Romans 7, that that is a battle with every single human being on planet earth. That is a battle where you, you, do, you don't want to do evil, but you do it. It's a, a battle of your flesh. And tonight what we're going to look at is, in a practical sense, is to look at how do I kill 
the beast of my flesh. Anybody up for that? Anybody have desire or things that happen in your life uh, that you look at and you say, man, I really wish I didn't do that. Don't leave me up here. Anybody like that? I wish I never did that. Uh, And maybe it's got a name for you. I'm not going to have the microphone runners come and put a microphone in your grill and you tell everybody what your thing is. But all of us have a thing that we wish that we could kill, that we could bury, that would never come back up. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to begin tonight by looking at this 17 verses is how do I kill the beast of my flesh? Now, I don't know if you take notes, but I've got four things for you, okay? And it's all coming right out of the text here and we'll pull it right out of here. But how do I kill the beast of my flesh? You do it four ways, okay? Uh, And it's right in the Bible. You have a funeral. That's exciting, isn't it? You have a funeral. Well, there's something interesting that happens at funerals. I've done my fair share of funerals before. I'd love to share a few stories, but I don't have time to do that with you tonight uh, because I've seen some pretty crazy ones and then I've seen some pretty awesome ones. But there's one theme that happens at every funeral. And can anybody guess what that one thing is? I'm not trying to be crass. I'm just being serious. What is it? Somebody died. Thank you. Yes, somebody died. Somebody, you don't have a funeral and somebody's not dead. That would be weird. Uh, but uh, somebody has died. And then this is kind of one of those j- moments in uh, the life of people that are participating and watching and experiencing a funeral where it's, uh, it's kind of a... Um, you're coming, there, there's an impasse here. There, this is a moment where you're at a crossroads. Something of permanence has happened. Like that's Larry's body, that's Janice's body, that's Frank's body, but that's not Frank, that's not Larry, that's not Janice. Something is different now. Their life, they're, they're gone, they're in heaven, hopefully. Uh, it definitely dramatically changes the functionality of that funeral if they're a believer or not. But uh, something of permanence has occurred. You are different uh, after after a funeral, life is different. If it's your spouse or it's your child or it's your mom or it's your dad or it's your brother, there is something in your family dynamic that is completely different from the time of that funeral. Something of permanence has happened. And what Paul is going to push us towards is that you, in order to kill the beast of your flesh, you have to begin to understand that something is dead and then something now has risen in its place. And what is dead is your flesh. Now, I want to put this thought around it and run you to this verse in verse 12. I want you to jot this thought down. I don't owe my flesh anything. I don't owe my flesh anything. When you think about having a funeral for your flesh and your sin and the desire that you know that doesn't please God, you've got to understand that in order to kill that desire, you have to know that every single time that temptation rings on the phone, every single time opportunity comes knocking at your door and at my door, we have to understand that we don't owe our flesh anything. You don't owe it to your flesh to give in to that desire. You don't have to pick up the phone and uh, give in to that moment. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. Are you with me? Verse 12. He says, so then brothers, this is kind of the the nuggets that we're going to hone in on is verse 12 and refer back up to the section above. Uh, So then brothers, we are debtors. We are debtors not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. This tells us, this verb, the, the language here tells us that we are under no obligation whatsoever to live submitted to our sinful desire. He's looking at the people of Rome. He's looking at to the, uh, to the, to the, uh, even through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in our context, in our day. And he's saying, you really don't owe your flesh anything. You don't have to submit as the sinful nature of your life is no longer the chairman of the board. As a matter of fact, use another analogy, that is, uh, that, that, that sinful desire has resigned and there is a new leader in your life. There's a new leader in your life. You're no longer under the obligation to conduct your life as sin as your master. He moves on in verse 13. And he says this at the very beginning. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. <laughs> you will die. Now that phrase, you will, will you circle that in your Bible? You will die. That brings about the idea of destiny. So what Paul is looking at these people and he's saying is he's saying, if you pattern your life 
after living, completely giving in to every proclivity, every sin, every moment that sin comes around and you give in to that, you are going to live your life bent towards the destiny of separation from God. You're going to live, and you might look like you're alive, but your spirit will feel dead. That's your destiny if you give in to the flesh and give in to that desire. You will die. Life, uh, you'll give your life over to sin and struggle. And you know what that does is that sends you to your funeral quick. But you don't owe your flesh that. It doesn't have to be this way. Why does it have to be this way? Well, like, here's the point. You don't, you can't actually kill your flesh. Sorry. You can't bury the hatchet of your sinful nature. You can't do that. Does anybody know why you can't do that? Does anybody know why you can't do it? I'm telling you to bury it, but I'm getting to it in a minute. Does anybody know why you can't actually do it? Thank you. You're not Jesus. That's the next point right here. (laughs) You're not Jesus. Jesus did what only he can do. And Pastor Lynn unpacked that pretty quickly uh, last week in verse, look at with me in verse three, he says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law was set up in the Old Testament. There were thousands of commandments that were put on top of the 10 commandments, virtually impossible for anybody to do. Nobody could do it. And so the law was given by God and the law, does anybody know why the law was given? To show why you were sinners. That's, that's, anybody have another way of putting that? That's true. Thank, who said that? Raise your hand. Awesome. High five. Yes, that was exactly how, what I put in my notes. To show that you need, the law was given so that it would work like a mirror or a conduit that would point everybody to say, you're desperately in need of somebody to fulfill that for you because there are going to be moments where you're going to put things above me. There are going to be moments where you're going to see your neighbor and think, dang, I wish I had a truck like him. Or man, I wish I had a purse like her. I never say that, but ladies, you might say that. And you're going to covet those things and you're going to do things that you wish you wouldn't do. You're going to lie. You're going to steal. You're going to cheat. There are things that we just do. You're going to take a pencil from work or a ream of paper because you ran out at home. Like those are the things that are going to happen. And those little things like that, that still one sin separates you from the love of the Father. You need somebody to come in and do something for you. And God provided a way. Those laws were given to point you that you and I are a sinner in need of a savior and point you to Jesus. And Jesus did what only he could do. Look at this. By sending, the end of verse three, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What that means is he looked like you and he looked like me, but he wasn't sinful. You see, he was born of a virgin, but not born of man. Does that make sense? The Bible says that when Mary conceived... This will blow your mind. When Mary conceived that the Holy Spirit enveloped her or uh, uh, overshadowed her and God supernaturally deposited the uh, sinless son of God inside of her womb and that caused her to conceive. So she wasn't born of a man biologically. He was born supernaturally. And so he was born, though, looking like a man, talking like a man, walking like a man, functioning like a man, having a job, doing a thing, having a thing that he enjoyed doing, having friends, having a, uh, the relational aspects of a mother and a father. Like he lived and acted, not acted, but uh, he acted like Christ, but he acted like man. It looked like you and like me. It's a, a relatability factor that God provided for us. So it says that he was not sinful, but he looked like a man. That's the way Paul's, what he's trying to say. Um, for uh, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. By his perfect life, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He says that over and over and over and again. Believers, we don't walk in the flesh, but we walk in the, what does he say? He, we walk in the spirit. So there's a key phrase in here. Jesus did what only he could do, not what we could do. So there's a thing going on in Christianity in North America, big time, and maybe all over the world too, uh, but where uh, if I'm just good enough, 
If I show up to church enough, if I memorize enough Bible verses, if I get plugged into all the right opportunities for growth, then that's what's going to make me a follower of Jesus. That's what's going to, uh, that's what's going to help me kill the beast. If I get in this program and do this and do that, like, um, I've done a lot of good things in my life, but none of that fixes my problem with sin. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement for us. What's the requirement? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, the Bible tells us, Be perfect, for your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. The requirement for you and for me to enter into a relationship with God is one of two ways. Perfection or somebody to step in on our behalf and fulfill that perfection for us. And Jesus did that. And by you accepting him and embracing him by faith, you are, it's kind of a graphic term, but you're washed in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when the father looks at you, even though you do mess up and even though we're all jacked up and we've got that thing that we can't seem to bury, God looks at us and says, oh, that's a child of God, sinless son of God has shed his blood for their sins. He fulfilled the requirement. He fulfilled the punishment. The Bible tells us that all of the wrath of God was poured onto Jesus the day that he died on the cross. And your sin and my sin was in, like he took the blow. He paid the penalty, the righteous requirement for us so that we could be freed. So this is a big honking deal that Jesus did that for you and Jesus did that for me. He did that for guys like Adolf Hitler and Osama bin Laden and he did it for my little six-year-old daughter and he did it for your neighbor and he did it for my neighbor and he did it for the person you buy coffee from. Like he did it for everyone. And we can't kill that fleshly thing in us. Jesus kills it for us. Is that good news for anybody today? Maybe. I had like three people clapped. So Jesus did what only he could do. The law was put in to guide us and to shape us and to reveal our inconsistencies and our propensities. Uh, and the law would show that we're sinful people. That phrase uh, could not do in verse 3. Just circle that and jot off to the side. Um, that it means lacking the ability to perform. So like in and of ourselves, as sinful creatures and human beings, we lack the ability to do what it is that would make us right with God. Thank God Jesus did what only he could do. Amen? Amen. So this is kind of a phrase here. Uh, I don't know my flesh anything, and this starts a new phrase. Jesus did what only he could do. Uh, what did he do? Providing new life for me. Uh, that's what he did. A living controlled by my flesh. Uh, how many of you can testify this? Living uh, controlled by your fleshly desires. What is it? it buries you and it kills you. Who would agree with that? Everybody in the room, for those of you that don't agree, can we talk about why? I'm just playing, totally playing. Yeah, man, it puts you in the grave. Yeah, not Maybe not physically, but uh, some might say physically, and I would probably agree to some extent it would. If you chase out and run to the end of your desire and your flesh and your sinful nature, that will ultimately, ultimately lead you so far from God. But living by the Spirit causes me to experience a resurrection in my life. Alive. New life by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 13. I know we're all over the place and this is not like Pastor Lynn. Are you going to give me grace? Okay, good. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, what does the scripture say? Say it again. You will what? You will die, but... Thank God for a big but in scripture, right? Big but right there. But if you live by the Spirit, you will what? You will put to death... You will have a funeral. You will kill that desire in your heart, the deeds of the body. And then the Bible says what? You will what? You'll what? Like you'll live, like you'll live as God intended you to live. You'll be fruitful. You'll be faithful. Your life will be filled full of meaning. You'll put to death. That word phrase, put to death, I love it. Paul says, you'll kill your flesh. You'll have a funeral. You'll kill 
your flesh. If you live controlled and compelled by the Spirit of God, that's the the tension that's happening. If you live that way, you'll literally slay the dragon of your flesh and your sinful desires. How awesome does that sound? That there is a battle going on in our hearts and when we live bent towards Christ and yielded to His Spirit, there's some sort of spiritual battle going on and Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, is slaying the dragon of your flesh. That is awesome. Tolkien couldn't write that good of a story. Look at verse 9. This is, I want to show you how he explains it. He's referring, when he writes, yes, sir, go for it. Yes, get, runner. You get two of them. This is all. Okay. Uh, Paul, as you said previously, was saying, you know, I try to do all that and I can't do it. Uh, I keep wondering as you're talking whether fruit. A funeral is the right word because uh, it, it kind of suggests that this favorite thing or the, whatever they are, mm-hmm. uh, that you actually can kill it. I mean, Christ can kill it if you turn it over to him. Correct. But I get the impression that Paul says, you know, this is going to be a struggle forever while sure. you're here on earth. It's not going to happen until you get to heaven. And I, do I hear you suggesting it can happen here on earth? That's a great question. And you did ask a hard question. I appreciate that, Frankie. Um, Here's what Paul is saying. In and of yourselves, you have no power over sin. In Christ, you have the ability in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to flee sin's power, not its presence. So we won't actually ever, and we'll get to it in a moment, we'll actually never flee the presence of sin this side of heaven. But the believer, compelled and controlled by the Spirit of God, has the power to beat that sin. Not in and of yourselves, but being compelled by Christ. Funeral, I say, uh, the reason I say funeral is because he says right here in verse um, 13... For if you live according to the flesh, you will, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. So he's saying that if you actually live compelled by the Spirit of God, you have the power to put to death those sinful desires. The reason, and you see this, Paul talks about it in Romans 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way through the end. That Pastor Lynn unpacked it and said it's the process of sanctification. That's where he's going. It's becoming more and more like Christ. And so he's moving. So hopefully, I've often said that hopefully, as we mature in Christ, you're not struggling with the same things you did 10 years ago. You have killed those things. And now you're moving on and you're maturing in Christ. Does that make sense? Do what? Got some new Oh, yeah. You got new ones. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Great question. Verse 9. This will help. This will help right here. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Paul's giving the Romans and now people who have put their faith and their trust in Christ. He is telling them you have a new identity. Paul is really big on that, if you didn't know that. In a lot of his writings, Ephesians, that's in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You would get like your hand would fall off how many times you'd circle that in your Bible. I mean, he is all about the believer's new identity and new position in Christ. This is, you might, you might have done those things, but that's not who you are. So he's moving you forward and he's saying, uh, so you, however, are not of the flesh. That's what you used to be. But now you're in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Uh, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life, uh, uh, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Paul is getting to the point right here where he's saying is the believer, the believer in this world, this side of heaven, uh, you are in his pre- the presence of sin, but by the Spirit of God, you now have dominion over that by Jesus Christ. You flee its power. Anybody testify to that? Anybody testify to that? You got a question? Did you raise your hand? Or are you just agreeing with me? Shoot, man. 
Hold on, let, let's get you here right here. Dude, they are like white on rice. This is great. You guys are fast. Get them cleats. Um, so this is really confirming for me. This is very prophetic. Everything you're saying, you know, 100%, like Corinthians says we're a new creation, you know. Um, Jesus saved my life from an addiction to meth and heroin. I've been Amen. sober for six months. I'd be, deader in, <laughs> I'd be deader in jail if it weren't for my faith in the Lord. My thing is, as it says that we have no obligation to our sinful nature and our nature of the flesh, and, you know, those temptations are always going to be present, obviously, because sure. we live on planet Earth. Uh, my thing is... I, I'm confident in my sobriety and in my faith in God and where I'm going in life. Um, but it's the fear. And I mean, since I have no desire for those devices, I know I'm therefore not going to go back. All you have to do is say yes or no. But I still have that constant, genuine sense of fear that like it might, my life might turn back to that. And I know the word says that, you know, the perfect love casts out all fear. There is no fear and love. But, uh, is it like sinful for, is my fear like a doubt in my, in my faith in God? Like, is that something I should repent for? Absolutely. I mean, well, go ahead. Keep going. Like, and I mean, I don't, I genuinely believe I'm not doing this, you sure. know, for me and for blessings and to get into heaven. I mean, that's, you know, a perk obviously, but this is, I believe in grace a hundred percent because sure. of where I came from and where I'm at now. But I just have this genuine sense of fear. Like, oh, I can't go into this neighborhood or I can't do this or I can't do that. Cause I'm going to end up, you know, being like a dope fiend again. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just being honest. So I, I'm just trying to discern between fear of the flesh and do you get what I'm saying? Like, right does that translate into like a lack of faith or do you get what I'm saying? Hopefully I'm going to help you here. What was your name? Travis. Travis, man, praise God for your sobriety. Thank you so and, much. Uh, man, that's so great. It's all about God. Glory be to God. You know? It's great. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I appreciate your vulnerability and honesty uh, to kind of jump in the arena and just share because right. uh, that takes a lot of vulnerability and trust. I appreciate that. Um, there's a lot of scholars in Romans chapter 7 that what, what Unlin, uh, Unlin, Pastor Lynn unpacked uh, last week where Paul says, uh, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do. Uh, that whole thing. There, there, there's some division within scholarly research that would say that was pre-coming to Jesus. Right. Uh, I don't hold to that. That's Paul struggling as a Christian. Right. That is Paul, and, and most conservative evangelical scholars would agree that that is Paul wrestling and struggling with his sanctification and becoming more like Christ. And so there is a, uh, there, there, there's uh, a little bit that you're going to wrestle, you're going to struggle. You'll hopefully, like as you beat that one victory, uh, you have get victory over this area, you're going to move on. And maybe that, that temptation might come back up. There are things I've beaten in my life that sometimes you go, oh, and oh my God, the enemy. I'm like, dude, you don't even get me now. Like, there's no way. Uh, like, I'm not falling to that anymore uh, because God has saved me from that. And I've right. seen my, I'm not buying into the lie. So my next point is actually going to help you. Uh, have a funeral. Check this out. You ready? Yeah, absolutely. This was, this was for you, man. Maybe. You didn't get the Corey Ten Boom quote. Sorry. <laughs> Let go of fear. There you go. See? Let go of fear. Man, if you look at this, um, fear is the antithesis of faith. Fear is the antithesis of faith. And the enemy uses that in the body of Christ like I pop Tums. I got bad heartburn, okay? I eat Tums every day. And the enemy uses that in our lives like crazy. Fear. Anybody anxious? You can be anxious about being anxious. Anybody with me on that? Yeah, yeah. I'm anxious about just getting anxious. Don't even walk that microphone near me. Like that's, you know, um, but uh, we got a question right here. I'll get to you in just a second, but go ahead and walk up there. Right, right there. Uh, fear. And uh, it's not wrong to fear, but uh, I got, uh, there's an article I want to I wanna, uh, um, uh, allude to. Verse 15 first. Let me get there. Verse 15. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery. Here it is, brother. To fall back into fear. You didn't receive that. What did you receive? You received the spirit of adoption as sons. Paul's like, you didn't take hold of, you didn't receive uh, uh, um, um, that spirit where you're subservient to your desires. 
That's not the spirit that you've inherited, that you've received. When you received Christ Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, the Bible calls it a theological term, imputed righteousness. By your faith, you are imputed surgically with the righteousness of God. You have a new, you have a new master. You are a servant unto Christ. And you have a new spirit. You have a new way of thinking. A total transformation has happened. Happened. Something dead was buried and something new is now alive. That's the power of baptism and why when you get baptized, if you haven't been or your kids get baptized, you invite every single person you know that's not saved. Why? Because it is a visual picture of a dead man buried with Christ and raised in a new life. And so you're raised to have a new master and a new spirit and a new way of thinking. And you're not subservient to your desires. And uh, how many of us know that when you give in to your desires, it always leads to fear and panic and stress. You got to cover up, clear search history, go, not, it wasn't with them. I, I didn't say that. I hope I never get caught. I hope I never get, I don't hope I don't ever get exposed. Uh, that is fear that the enemy uses with these things that we battle. And then fear uh, so this article, Pastor James McDonald, pa- uh, pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago, uh, great Bible teacher, he wrote this article called The Antidote of Fear. And he walks through this and he tells us, you don't have to coach yourself to be afraid. Could you agree? You don't have to coach yourself to be afraid. We don't coach ourselves into fear. You don't have to work ourselves up. It actually just happens. Fear happens. Somebody should make a shirt. Fear happens. Uh, fear just happens. Look, uh, fear of losing people that we love. Fear of falling back into temptation, fear of uh, losing uh, people we lose to temptation, fear of physical pain, fear of emotional pain, spiritual pain, uh, fear of failure, fear of losing our possessions. I might lose my home, I might lose my car, uh, I might lose whatever. And we don't have to work into fear, and uh, fear contradicts our faith. And so the antidote, you can jot this phrase down, the antidote to our fear is the promise of God's presence. Now let me get to the, let me get here first. So the antidote to our fear is God's presence. Be with him. Connect with him. Open your Bible. Get into God's word. And your spirit desires that. That's what verse 15 tells us that inside of us our spirit groans and longs for Abba Father and I'll unpack that here in a few moments. But yes ma'am. I agree with you that uh, what you're saying about fear, but my question isn't there another type of fear, a holy fear? Uh, it's no different than uh, uh, a fear of heights or a fear of, of the fire. I can be burnt. Boy, I have a greater fear when I have been burnt than if I just look at the fire. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a holy fear, and that's why we look in the Ephesians, they talk about putting on the whole armor of God because I know my tendencies. And so I have to be a little more mindful of what my tendencies are, or I'll fall into what Paul said in uh, chapter 7, and I'll do what I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So there's a holy fear in here, too, that really will strengthen me, but will not paralyze me. I would agree with that. Uh, let me unpack a little bit of that context. If you look at the wording of verse 15, because that's where I'm getting that uh, point. The context of verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to be subservient to your desire to fall back into fear. And so the context, I agree with you, there is a holy reverence and a holy awe of the majesty and the magnitude and the grandeur of who God is. And that sends us to the floor with how big he is and how awesome he is and how he can absorb all of that pain, all of that sin, all that stuff, uh, uh, that he can take care of that, that his hands are big enough to hold that. Uh, but the context here would be that we're not cowering in fear. We, we, we're not that slave to sin any longer. We don't have that spirit. We have a different spirit in us. But I, I do agree with you. Yes, ma'am. Um, talking about the holy fear, I think the fear of the Lord is the beginning of salvation. Yeah, Proverbs. I can't talk right because I just got my braces off today. But what I'm it's all saying good. I've been um, there. today is like, whatever you had at your funeral, you you overcame that. Okay, and and I'll, I have going to say I've been saved for seven years. Yeah. And I over I had my funeral. I, I you know, I, and this year was, 2015 was the worst year of my life. Mm. And, you know, 
I fell right under that category again where Paul says, I don't want, you know, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And it happened, you know. What do you do then? Because you had your fear, no, you overcame. Mm -hmm. And then it's like back again. It comes back to, and I think that uh, would anybody just uh, voting by interpretation, this is a bad way to do that, or interpretation by voting. How many of you would agree that uh, you have fallen into that pattern before? I'm saved, praise God, but I've fallen back into sin before. So let me... What I want to tell you is, is first, let me say this. Can you do that again? How many of you have been saved and fallen back? First of all, you're in the company of people and family who have been a part of that. So you're in a community of strugglers, number one. Number two, just because you sin doesn't mean that God's grace runs out. There's no sin too dirty, no sin that would take you. Uh, God's grace never runs out. His, his forgiveness is not limited. It's unlimited. And so um, God is not like Walmart. Now follow me here. Yep. God's grace isn't like every time you go to get chicken broth and they're out. God has an unlimited supply of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. Now, the problem is, is that we don't settle into that identity, that that is who I am. We operate and we try to modify our behavior in order to get God's approval. And God never intended our relationship to function in that way. God intended our relationship to function like uh, we're in a... Uh, um, God intended our relationship to function like we are a reservoir and his love is a waterfall rushing over us. His grace is rushing over us and we operate out of the, of, of being washed clean and forgiven and set free. And that what you might have done isn't who you are, but that's what you did. And God, uh, God forgave that on the cross, Jesus, 2000 years ago. That sin was named. Did you know that? And so when God looks at you, what's your name? Elenia, when God looks at Elenia, he looks at you and says, he doesn't even see the sin. The Bible says that God takes your sin and throws it as far as the east is from the west. How far can east catch up to west? I haven't been very far west, but I know you can't catch east. The Bible also tells us that he throws our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. And so what the Bible means by that is he's saying that when he looks at you as a child of God, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, is kind of a graphic picture, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, like the waterfall rushes over you and he sees you and he says, you're forgiven and you're set free. And so the compulsion in your heart then is, God, I don't ask forgiveness to get in better standing with you because I can't, because I've already accepted your son. I'm asking that you would give me uh, strength over that to turn from that and to repent from that. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you as a, a, a jacked up, messed up person. If you've accepted Jesus Christ by faith and embraced him, then you're forgiven and you're set free. And out of that identity, you live. You are approved, you are loved, and you are valued by God. Yes. Oh, do what? Every day. I have a funeral every day, baby. I mean, we got to do it. So... I, gotta, I, had, I had a question in regards to that. So verse 13. Where are we at? Uh, right back here. Oh, okay. So verse 13, when it says, put to death the deeds of the body, is put to death, is that a, I mean, this is, is it, what kind of a tense is that? What kind verb, of tense is that? The verb. Is it a present perfect or is it a present? So if it's present perfect, it's a continuously putting to death. Yes. So is that the tense of that? Uh, I, I did jot that down. I got to find it. You put me on the spot. I appreciate that. I'd have to come back with you on that. I did. I thought I wrote it down. Where are you? There you are. I think it is. I, I don't want to say I think. I don't want to say I think. But uh, I can check back with you. Can check back with me, or you. I can. I got. I can look it up here in just a second. Not in the middle of this, but afterwards, and we can take a look at it. Yes. I was going to say that I, I think Lynn actually simplified it for a couple a couple weeks ago. Perfect. About, he, he compared it to being a parent that no matter how many times your kids mess up, do you ever kick them out of the house or reject them or right. loving them? No, you continue to love them because they're your child. And, well, we're his children. Right. So no matter how much we mess up, as long as we continue to put our faith in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. 
you know, we're going to be forgiven. We continue to strive and lean and go in the mm-hmm. right direction. Perfect. That's great. That's great. Um, I don't have a lot of time, but we're going to get to this third thing. Are we ready? How do we kill the beast of our flesh? Have a funeral, let go of fear, and enjoy the family. Oh, we got more. You guys don't want to hear all five or all four. Where are we at? Yes, go ahead. I was just going to say that um, in, I think, Luke, the scripture tells us that if we're going to follow Christ, that we need to deny ourselves, put to death. Correct. And take up our cross daily. Correct. So it, it lets us know that this is a process that goes on. It doesn't hold us hostage, but as we grow, there are things that that we have to drop off and die daily, and we have to be aware that you know it it will you will overcome. <clears throat> excuse me, overcome it, but you have to follow. You have to let the spirit lead you, and let the things that need to die die off, and not not to just say, okay, I didn't make it today. That everything is for naught. It's a good word. Thank you for that. Yes, sir. I think uh, in Ephesians, when uh, Paul instructs, he says, in a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. That's something you have to do every day. Yeah. And the picture was the Roman soldier. Mm Mm-hmm who put on his armor every day, and he started with the, the belt of righteousness or the, mm-hmm. uh, the Bible. And, and that's what we have to do, because every day it's a battle. Amen. Yes, sir. I was going to say, um, when you look back at verse 1, it's a present tense statement where it says there's now no condemnation. So the word condemnation there means that there's no penalty. Right, And then you read through this chapter, and they talk about the penalties that there are in a present tense when we're living here up to, I believe it's first, up till verse 13, it's like present tense. Here's the penalty of, mm-hmm. of present tense living here. Correct. And one of the penalties of, of condemnation is fear. So, so when we realize that right now, present tense, there's no condemnation, there's no penalty... I'm forgiven, period. It's taken care of and it's gone. You know, it's kind of like a fallback plan. Say you <clears throat> say you have $10 million in the bank and you get fired from your job. Then all of a sudden you remember, oh yeah, I have $10 million in the bank. Yeah. You know, I'm falling back on that. And then and then the past tense here uh, is where you were going to where it's talking about we're adopted. You know, we're, we're, we're at sonship. And that's... That, accomplished. That's how he looks at us, and then and then it talks about death and what follows death. Because when we sin, we fall into a pit, right? Mm-hmm. We start thinking there's no way I can be forgiven, or I caught, or, or I've sinned. And then what we have to realize is, yeah, present tense, I'm forgiven, I can move on. It's already taken care of, and so that's why the condemnation drops off, and that's why the fear drops off. Mm-hmm. That'll preach, man. Bring it. Amen. Amen. That's great. Anybody else before we jump in? All right, cool. That's great stuff. Uh, Enjoy the family. This gets back into uh, some things uh, that my brother just mentioned here. Um, uh, Verse 14. Uh, We're God's children. Uh, Look with me in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. You're sons of God. And uh, verse 14, in other words, uh, the, we have undergone uh, a, a change of mind or a, an under, a new influence. Uh, the Spirit of God has uh, come inside of us, has been deposited in us, and we are His children. And my friend back there just mentioned it. It is an accomplished fact, past tense, happened and nothing can change it. Nothing can change the fact, no matter how deep you, uh, uh, no matter how much you've blown it in your life, uh, if you have by faith embraced Christ and went on a flesh trip for a minute, who's done that? You've said that already, but I want to hear it again. I want to see it again. 
You've had that flesh trip. No matter how deep it took you or how gross that it was, it doesn't change the fact that you're God's son or God's daughter. And you've been saved. And that's not who you are. We're his children. What has happened? We're his children adopted into his family. Verse 15 says that for you did not receive a spirit of slavery. We already talked about that to fall back into fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons. And uh, that word spirit it, it is pneuma. It means breath or wind. And it can also mean or allude to a different way, a new way. We've received a new spirit, a new way of thinking. We received a whole new identity as adopted sons and adopted daughters of the king. Now, adopted is powerful. Does anybody have an adopted child here? Anybody? Love you. That's great. Uh, Adoption, two of them. Praise God. Adoption is such a powerful word and a powerful analogy uh, that Paul uses here. This is uh, a legal proceeding between two people with different blood. A mom and dad, a, a, a family unit that specifically says, I choose, I want that one. And that one's coming home with me. And that son and that daughter who does not share my blood now has my last name. And there's nothing that that child could ever do that would ever, ever even think of disowning them. I had a guy when I was preaching in Texas and we talked about adoption. A church member came up to me afterwards and we went through this section of scripture and he said, hey, did you know, and this might just be in Texas, I don't know about here, but uh, that you legally, legally can never disown an adopted child? God can't, God does not disown his children. Once you're in the family, you're in the family. And there's nothing you could ever do that would separate you from the love of God. He says that uh, you're adopted. Uh, one, uh, R. Kent Hughes is one of my favorite commentators, uh, and he quotes F.F. F. Bruce, another theologian, and he says, the term adoption may smack somewhat of, an art- of artificiality in our ears, but in the first century A.D., an adopted son uh, was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive parents. It was not an accident. And God chose you, and he adopted you into the family. He had deliberately chose you and your heavenly father desires a deep relationship, a life-changing relationship with his children. You've been adopted into his family. Now the Bible says again in verse 15, by whom our spirit cries, Abba, Father. That's like a family term. If you were to go into an, uh, uh, you know, an ancient uh, family in Israel at that time and you were to uh, bump up into their family dinner time uh, and, uh, and you would hear uh, children say Abba to their dad, it was this term of endearment, highly relational in nature. And the Bible tells us that when we receive the Spirit of God in our lives uh, and, we, and we continually give ourselves to that Spirit's leadership, our spirit grows, we're sanctified, we're growing. And our spirit uh, doesn't know anything but to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, in relational terms. And God desires that relationship with us. Did you know that in the Bible, God refers to, he could have referred to his church as anything. But he calls the church what? His what? His bride. We are the children of God. And God chooses to relate to his people in family terms. He could have called the church an organization. He could have called, we do that in our modern era, but God relates to his people in family language. And God desires an intimate, loving, life-changing, shaping relationship with his children. You're to enjoy that. And you're to enjoy that relationship and then uh, uh, enjoy the family. We're all God's, uh, we're not all, well, we are God's children adopted into the family and heirs to all that is his. Heirs to all that is his. Look with me in verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, if we're God's children, 
we have a new inheritance. We've been adopted into the family. We've got the, the, the name of God, the thumbprint of God on our life. And he is our father. He is our leader. And we've got all the rights and privileges of a son and a daughter of the king. I've really wrestled with that for like 10 or 12 years now. That as soon as I embraced faith and trust in Christ, like I became a part of the divine royal family of God. That has serious ramifications for my life. That shapes decisions that I make, businesses that I engage with, things that I do life around. I'm a part of the royal family of God. I'm a blood-bought son of the king. And it shapes how we live. That is who we are. You know, we don't have to perform to get that. The only thing we do is embrace Christ by faith, trust in him, and all of a sudden, sealed into the family. We're heirs to all that is his. Well, what is... Uh, children of God, immediate descendants of him, heirs. Uh, that phrase, heirs, it really just means people who uh, are entitled by law to the terms of the will to inherit the estate. I don't know what your estate looks like. 401k and your house and your property. Um, but even if you're rolling in it, you don't have quite the inheritance that we have in Christ. There's something about us as Americans that we just really like settle into those 401ks, settle into these inheritances that we will get. And yes, those change the natural life, like that can change the course of your natural life. But when you receive Christ as King and Lord of your life and submit your life to him, uh, you're an heir to an eternal inheritance Uh, that if you could even fathom it, your mind would literally rupture. So what do we receive? Well, there's a number of things that this specific section of Scripture doesn't actually say. We're heirs to all sorts of stuff. There's a great article by John Piper that he talks about your heirs, uh, your heirs of the world, uh, because everything in the world is God's and, and the fullness thereof. Like your heirs of the world, your heirs of God himself. How good is that? Like the things that you have are good gifts from God that you have, that is an inheritance as a believer, to increase your joy in him. But for you to enjoy just the physical things that God has blessed you with is idolatry. And so what we do and we receive as an inheritance is we receive God. There will be a day, one day, where you will fall asleep and you will pass away. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but you will wake up in the presence of God Almighty. And as you hear my voice now and see my face now and you can touch your spouse or your neighbor on the arm or on the leg and you can feel like that and you think that's feeling and you think that's seeing and you think that's hearing, there will come a day where there will be no separation between you and your heavenly father who loved you so much that he sent Jesus for you. He pursued you. He chased after you. Even when you were jacked up, messed up and all kinds of messiness, he still came after you and picked you up and cleaned you up by his love and by his grace. And there will be no separation between you and God forever. You will see like you've never seen. You will hear like you've never heard. You will taste like you've never tasted. And you will experience God in the fullness of who he is. And that is inheritance enough that you receive more of God. But in order for me to stay faithful to this, you receive a redeemed body. Redeemed means to add value. You will receive a body that was built as uh, it was intended to be. Pastor Lynn talked about it on Sunday. Like when you go to, like you're gonna, everybody's going to be 25. I don't know, 25 Aaron wasn't really awesome. I was thinking more like 18 Aaron was, okay, that was all right. Uh, but um, I don't know what that optimal thing will be. Who knows? I don't really care. It's going to be awesome though. And our body's going to be uh, redeemed. And the text says that uh, later in Romans um, 8, 
uh, 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, and not of the creation, but of ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown, we inside of us, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We will receive a redeemed body, not scarred and blemished by sin, but will be uh, in heaven in perfection forever. And then we'll receive redeemed and glorified bodies. That's verse 17. And if you are then heirs, heirs with Christ, uh, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. One day we will receive a body uh, that is glorified. I'd really like to go into that, but I have 50 seconds. Let me give you this, because my brother mentioned it earlier, uh, the last piece. Sorry, I was going to give you all that breakdown, Mr. Piper and all his stuff. Sorry. There you go. How to kill the beast of your flesh, embrace your freedom. And Paul launches with that. And the reason I did this in reverse was because... That one thing sets the tone for all of that. You got He refers back to that so much. That's the kind of prerequisite to all of these things is that he says in verse 1, look with me, there is therefore now in this very moment no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know what the opposite of that is? Is that if you're not in Christ, there is condemnation. And that's a sad place to live. We don't want to live there at all. For the law of spirit... Uh, of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You know, freedom's foundation begins in Christ. And that position allows the guilty, sin-stained human being like you and me to walk away, as F.F. Bruce says, pardoned and liberated from the prison house of sin. That allows us to be pardoned, to be set free because Christ was the reasonable sacrifice for our sin. And his shed blood washed away that and allowed us to be pardoned and taken care of. And allowed us to be purchased so that we could live a life of freedom. The Bible says in verse 2 that this law of the Spirit has set you free. When Christ is in you, he set you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And whom the Son has set free, he is free indeed. I love what the message translation says of this very verse. Like a strong wind, like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from the fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. That is what God has done for you and for me. So out of this unbelievable, humble position, I don't know what this does for you. I don't want to just stir you up theologically because if theology doesn't shape the way that you live, then theology is uh, religiosity and it's legalism. But if you allow your theology to shape who you are and how you live, it changes everything. And what it does for me is as I learn more about Jesus, do you know what it does for me? shrinks me and I just get infinitely smaller and smaller and smaller under the full weight of who God is and how great he is and how awesome he is I literally sometimes just have to get so low that I can't get low any lower because I cannot believe that he would do that for me and what Paul's trying to do is trying to shake you up He's trying to shake those believers up in Rome. He's trying to say, dude, this is so much better than you could ever imagine. And out of that place, it literally should humble every one of us. And uh, some of us, we've got to get off our high horse and get off of the soapbox and allow ourselves to get so low that you're literally sucking rug, man. You can't get any lower than face planted on the carpet and allow God to put you in that place and humble you. And out of that humble state, You look at your heavenly father and you say, are you kidding me? I can be freed from this. I can be freed from the power of sin. I can be set free. 
I can stand before you as a, as a person who has sinned, but yet because of your grace, it overshadows my sin. And every morning when you wake up and you think, are you kidding me? You should have wiped me off the earth. That's what Romans 8 does for me. You should have wiped me off the planet, but your grace lets me live every day another day so that I can tell more people about you, that you can forgive them just like you've forgiven me. Seems fitting to pray. Would you let me pray for you today? God, you are so good to us that we sinners because of our relationship with Jesus are allowed to come into a relationship with you. Your holiness and magnitude would, should literally just, there's, we should never be able to enter in your presence but because Jesus we get to. I'm so thankful for him in my life. I'm so thankful for these men and women who would say, Jesus has saved me and set me free and it's a daily struggle every day. But praise God, I can be above the line. I don't have to give in to that sin anymore and I can give in to Jesus and he can save me and I can live my life leaned in his direction constantly and growing in more relationship with him every day. Father, the reality is, is we live in this world and earth is cursed and sin is here and sin is rampant and we give into it every day. But God, may we today understand that by the power of Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit in us, the same spirit that's, uh, that, 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 uh, that hovered over the earth before creation, before we were created, the same spirit that, uh, that, fell on Jesus when John baptized and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of every single believer. And God, we've been raised to live life yielded to that spirit every day. So God, give us the courage to do that. Give us the tenacity and the bravery to do that. God, and when we fail you, may we cling so tight to your grace. And may we not try to work our way into good standing with you. May we just cling to the fact that we are forgiven, that we are saved, and that we are set free. That is what we did, but it's not who we are. We are your children. We are your heirs. And do we deserve it? No. But your grace allows it. And we're grateful. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. So many places all over this world don't have a Bible that can't open up your word and learn these great truths. God, may we allow these things to shape us and to mold us. And may we give in to the truth of your word every day. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for letting me teach tonight.